and we are recording. All right, another episode of the Square and Compass podcast visiting the East Coast today, which is, uh, this is the first video I've done where I've managed, or first video I've published where I've, I've visited this far East. I've got brother David Karp and worshipful brother Alberto Casanova, both from the Clarence F. Smith Daylight Lodge, number 866, in beautiful Los Angeles, California. Welcome, guys. Well, thank Welcome. you. Thank well, you. Just, I will just correct you a little bit. We're on the West Coast. West uh, Coast, sorry. Yes, that's all right. You're on the, you're closer to the East Coast, I think. Yeah, well, Windsor is actually, we're, we're kind of a neat spot. We're the only city um, in Canada, south of America, the way the geography works. We're the southernmost part of Ontario. We're right next to Detroit. But Very yeah, nice. that's right. Sorry, I should have said uh, West Coast. But I'm looking forward to talking with you guys. Uh, I love the chance to speak with brethren. I have the, about their Masonic journey and their Masonic Lodge, especially when it's brand new and I haven't met them before. Before that, I just got to give a quick reminder to all the people listening. If you uh, live in Windsor and Essex, uh, Square and Compass is partnered with Canadian Blood Services, and we are sponsoring a blood clinic on December 30th, December 31st, and January 1st. And I'll put the flyer up on, but if anybody watching uh, hasn't done so yet, please take the time to book an appointment and donate blood. So with that, welcome again. Thank you guys so much. And I learned about your lodge through Facebook, through a notice about uh, Brother David Karp winning a very prestigious award provided by the Daylight Lodge. So uh, Brother David Karp, if you could talk about what that award is a little bit and also Worship Brother Albert, Alberto Casanova, kind of what the Hiram Award is, how somebody goes about receiving it and what it means to the recipient. Well, what, what I know is uh, what I read from the Grand Lodge of California. I printed out just a small portion of it, and I can read what uh, the sentence that uh, the Grand Lodge of California has in here about it. It says, this is the highest honor which can be, which can be bestowed upon a member that has unselfishly given of his time, talents, and energy for the betterment of his lodge and Freemasonry. Um, it's not something that uh, somebody uh, asks for or works for. I think it's just the consequence of, of being um, an active participant in a lodge. From, from my experience, if you ask for this or you work towards this, the likelihood of you getting it is very, very slim because it's an award that is given uh, to an individual who give his free time without, any, without expecting anything in return. This all started out in 1977 by the Most Worshipful Grand Lodge of Free and Accepted Masons. Uh, they wanted to honor an individual in their lodge for the amount of work that they've done unselfishly. And uh, this prestigious award is given by the lodge itself. The members of the lodge get together 
every year. And, and, and also, I might point out here that it does not have to be every year. If you have a year where there is no one that is entitled for that award, then it just goes by. But every year, uh, the worship master and junior warden and senior warden makes up this committee and they appoint an individual to be nominated for this award. And that's pretty much how it came about. And it has been going on now since 1977 to all lodges, in all lodges uh, in, in California, all California lodges. So to give you just a, a little bit of, of background uh, in the past month or so, uh, I have been hosting um, a weekly fellowship meeting on Zoom. On, it originally was Friday nights. We moved it to Thursday nights for the lodge. Uh, and uh, I um, was surprised one Thursday evening when it was announced. And I said, me? Because I was just um, blown away by this. I had no idea it was coming. And, uh, and uh, once I got over the shock, you know, I got pretty excited about it. Um, and I'm still excited about it. I'm looking forward to the ceremony that Worshipful Alberto Casanova um, uh, will participate in as the Master of Ceremonies, which is a great honor for me uh, because I, I have a great affinity for him. And I feel like we, uh, we are good friends, although we don't get to see each other very much. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, uh, he did something else that was wonderful and, and took me by surprise. Uh, I had originally been in another lodge. This one didn't exist when I became a Mason. And I, uh, and I moved over to this daylight lodge because the time was good on a Saturday morning rather than in an evening. Um, and uh, when I moved over there, I had already been in masonry maybe 27 years or so, maybe 28 years. I can't remember what year it was, but um, somebody got wind of that. And there's a 25-year award, a 25-year pin. And so Worshipful Alberto um, took me by the arm and led me around the lodge room for a, a very nice ceremony that I think he made up himself. He can tell you about it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I, I felt very honored and I still feel very honored with, uh, with my uh, participation in this yeah. lodge with Alberto. Yeah, what I did is give him a reflection of entering in the lodge for the first time. And he started between the pillars and reminding him of all the positions uh, of the officers and went around the lodge three times and uh, we end up at the very same spot where he took his master mason, uh, uh, where he made his master mason's promises to the lodge. And uh, we, we did that as a reminder, you know, 25 year reminder of where he started and, and where he is uh, after 25 years as a reflection. And it was awesome. It, I know I caught him by surprise, but it was an awesome ceremony. It was, and I, and I have this special pin that uh, was given to me that says 25-year Mason, and now I don't have anywhere to, to wear it because we're not in Lodge. <laughs> we, go ahead. I, um, before we, we started, um, 
Brother Casanova, Worship Brother Casanova, you said something that I want to, to expand upon because it connects to a lot of my thinking about Freemasonry, um, which is the, the ways in which a brother can be of assistance or of use to a lodge, um, right? We, we, brother David Carp is Brother David Carp. There's no worshipful uh, before the brother party. He's not uh, been to the East. And yet, as you pointed out, he's been a, a valuable member of the fraternity for 27 years. Yes. Uh, do you think that sometimes, at least this is my experience, I think sometimes brethren will have the idea that if they don't take an officer's chair or if they aren't moving towards the East, they're not able to contribute to Lodge. Uh, I, yes, that's a common uh, uh, misconception. Uh, it has been going on for quite some time that if I do not participate in the line, or if I'm not a worshipful master, then I'm no value to the lodge. But we all come in with, with different talents when we join missionary. There are some that uh, just have leadership qualities and go on to be uh, master of the lodge. But there are also others that have different qualities, writing qualities like David. Uh, we had uh, in San Fernando Lodge, we had brothers that are very good cooks and they never end up being nothing else but uh, working in the kitchen. But these individuals were very, very valuable. The lodge function around them, function that David Carp will do the, the trestle board, function that at a stated meeting that we have brothers who are willing to serve and who are willing to step into the kitchen. And that's what Freemasonry is all about, you know, contributing in regardless of your officer's uh, uh, position in the lodge. You, you, we all hold a very dear position uh, as far as contributing, contributing to the lodge on a whole. And if, 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 if more brothers would understand that, I think we would even be yet a stronger uh, uh, organization, or as we say, uh, um, last four words there. It, it's, yeah, it's even, you know, I've always felt that even attendance without, you don't, you know, you, you don't necessarily need to have a part assigned to you in a degree or an officer's, just your presence in the lodge. Yeah will mean so much to a, a, a candidate, to a, a master, to anybody there to see you present and taking an interest is so yeah. important. Yeah, when I was in the Oriental chair, I always gave kudos to the guys who are on the sideline because the candidate is so impressed when he takes off that blindfold and see everyone around attending his ceremony. Can you imagine having a ceremony and taking off the blindfold and all you see is the officers? That would be terrible. But the sideliners cheering you on, joining in, in, in and rejoicing in your next step in masonry is so important. So even the sideliners are important. Everyone in that lodge plays us a very important role. And we should promote that more. 
a lot of times we kind of take that for granted and we do not bring that up in our converse, conversation. We talk about the worship of masters and the officers and, you know, but sideliners, sideliners are so important. You know, they, they, they play a very valuable role. So I'm recalling uh, a situation that occurred uh, shortly after I affiliated in, in June of 2018 with this brand new Daylight Lodge. Um, we uh, were still under dispensation from the Grand Lodge of California and um, worshipful uh, Stephen Wolvek was our, our original first uh, master of the lodge. And he, uh, he's very enthusiastic and he got up one, one day in a stated meeting and he was talking about this, that, and the other thing and said, you know, and we don't even have a trestle board. And then in, in a, a moment where I had lost my sanity, I, I got up and addressed, <laughs> I addressed the worshipful master and I said, well, I think I can do that. And uh, so we're now into our third year of monthly newsletters, which I have been writing and editing. And, uh, and I've gotten a great deal of enjoyment out of doing this. I mean, you know, what, 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 the way I see it is, you know, we all contribute to the lodge in our own ways, but we also get something out of it. Uh, and, and so I've gotten a great deal of self-satisfaction from it. And, and, uh, and I've had a chance to learn a lot more about Freemasonry because I need um, articles from here, there, and everywhere. And I try to pull them off of the internet and, uh, and or write them and, and take some of the words that we have from the ritual and uh, allude to them because uh, it, you know, it's a public document. We can't put secrets in it, um, but we can, you know, say, well, you know, these are what our principal tenets are, and and uh, here's how we think about it. And so that's that's what I've been doing, and uh, and it's been very rewarding. And, and you shared some of those writings with me, which I look forward to sharing with my brethren uh, in Harmony Lodge. I always love, whether I get a, a summons or whenever I get something from out of, you know, certainly out of jurisdiction, out of the district, I love sharing it with, uh, with the brethren, just to remind them that, you know, masonry really is, it's universal, it's everywhere. It's on both the East and the West Coast, based on, uh, based and on. Every, uh, and everywhere in between. Absolutely. <laughs> of the coast, Brother Carp, your, uh, your background, that's a, uh, that's a California, uh, background, isn't it? Yes. Uh, my daughter took this picture. You know, we've all been in lockdown in various um, ways since March of this year. And they live uh, not far from where I live in a, uh, in a valley called the San Fernando Valley. And there's a, a short mountain range between us and the valley and uh, the coastline. And so one day when they felt like they couldn't be cooped up in the house anymore, my daughter and, and um, my son-in-law and my granddaughter took a ride out to the ocean and so and took this picture. This is the Pacific Ocean, just a little bit north and west of Malibu. And they probably took the Malibu Canyon um, from the San Fernando Valley out to the Pacific Coast Highway. And this is just off of the highway uh, where they stopped to get some fresh air and enjoy the day. And I liked the picture. And so 
I said, well, can I use it? And of course they said yes. And it's one of several virtual backgrounds that I have, but it's one that I like very much. Uh, I'm just thinking about California, just the size of it. It's such a, a you know, large state. Um, Ontario is the same way. It's such a large province. Um, I always wondered because, you know, how do you find your your Grand Lodge? Um, like, is there a lot of variation you find between, say, uh, Masonic lodges, you know, in Northern California to Southern California? I know you all have one Grand Lodge, but do you do you find that, or in your experiences traveling, do you find you know, unique features of each. I know in Ontario, for example, we have some, you know, Northern Ontario is so sparsely populated. Um, a district can be, you know, a six hour drive to get from one end of the district to the other end of the district. Um, so obviously every, every part of Ontario has unique challenges. I'm just wondering if California is the same way or if you find it's relatively uniform throughout the, the state. No, definitely not uniform. I'm also an uh, inspector for the 705 Masonic District. And my district, I, I have uh, five lodges in my district, but there are some lodges uh, going north of here that have five lodges that are anywhere from an hour to two hours apart. Mine is uh, half an hour between the lodges, but these inspectors meet with their lodges an hour, they have to drive an hour from one lodge to the, to the other lodge uh, to service or to meet with their, their members in their district. So it varies, it, it varies. The farther north you go, it, it becomes a lot more space, farmland uh, in between the cities. North of here, I mean, we're in a very urban area, but north of here is a central valley, which is farmland. And north of that uh, and, and to the west on the coast is, uh, you can think about San Francisco and then there's even more California beyond that. One of the things that, that I noticed is that the Grand, the Grand Lodge, the Grand Master of the Lodge uh, can be from anywhere in the state. And this past year we had uh, our Grand Master who was, um, uh, raised and maybe lives in the gold country, which is way north of here and much more rural. And then this uh, grandmaster who just was um, installed is uh, actually local to us. He's uh, within a half hour of where I live. And, but but uh, he and, and the, all of the Grand Lodge uh, will travel in various um, times to various parts of the of the of the state, uh, for lots of different ceremonies, you know, cornerstone ceremonies, and um, what was the ceremony that we had? The ceremony of constitution, Certainly, which yeah. was which was very exciting and and quite unique, where the Grand Lodge um, opened in our lodge space in our lodge room to uh, I guess consecrate us, and uh, it was very exciting, and so. The Grand Lodge officers, like Worshipful Alberto, will travel throughout the state, uh, ultimately. Uh, obviously, when 
when the pandemic lessens. Speaking of, of being a, a Grand Lodge officer, uh, Worship Brother Alberto Casanova, uh, we talked about Brother David Karp and the, um, the honor he will be receiving, uh, which I look forward to attending via Zoom, but also uh, you yourself received a, an honor from Grand Lodge. Can you talk yes, about that sir. appointment? <laughs> uh, the, every year, the junior warden seeks out his officers, appointed officers. And uh, two years ago, the worshipful master uh, reached out to me and uh, took me out to breakfast. And I'm an inspector. He asked me about my, my uh, district and how the district was do doing. And just about when we were ready to depart, he says, wait, don't leave yet. I have one more question for you. And that's when he asked me if I would be, if I would honor him to serve in the Grand Line and, and be part of the Grand Family. And it was, I, I, I was just stunned. I lost for words for a couple of days. Uh, that's a very, very prestigious honor. Again, something that you do not work yourself up to. Uh, uh, is uh, I, what the Grand Master told me was is just he saw me and my activities around the lodges. I was always present. I was always working. I was always doing something for a different lodge, and he wanted me to be a part of his Grand Line to continue um, with my activities, and uh, and that's how I got uh, uh, chosen. It's um, it's a great honor. It's a great honor. And uh, I get to travel with him after this COVID pandemic subsides to the different lodges and to, to open a Grand Lodge with him and to serve as his right hand uh, in any ceremony that he would be participating in. Uh, last week, Saturday, I was on Zoom with the Grand family when they uh, when the Grand Master presented or was part of the installing team for the very first uh, Zoom install, inst installation of uh, officers. And uh, until I get to travel, those are the kind of things that I'll be doing. I'll be pretty much with the Grand Master in a Zoom atmosphere. Uh, this is just thing that occurred to me. So, David, I don't know, I, I didn't give you an advance warning, but I wonder, I have a question. Um, uh, Brother Carp, your, your uh, profession is uh, a mediator. We talked about that a little bit. You do mediation. As a, a mediator, uh, I don't know what, if you have the equivalent lecture in California. In Ontario, we have um, the uh the apron charge in the first degree it's usually called the admonition basically it's um an instruction that any brothers with whom you have a quarrel you're expected to try to resolve it peacefully and amicably outside of lodge and not bring the discord into lodge um i always wondered the, you know as a, a mediator um what is your, your take on, on that admonition? And also what advice would you have if there are brethren who are 
in disagreement, how to resolve those. Because in, you know, the modern kind of climate, it does seem like just in everything, there's, there's so much more tension amongst people along religious beliefs, along political beliefs. And even though that's not supposed to come into Lodge, uh, there can be a danger that it, it does or that it, that it will if we're not careful. So as a mediator, do you have any, any thoughts on that admonition and how Brethren can go about trying to resolve these quarrels that could arise? Uh, well, I, let me just give you a little history. Um, it, I imagine in every grand jurisdiction, um, there is a, a disciplinary process if, uh, if uh, someone is accused of unmasonic conduct. And uh, at uh, some years ago, I would say maybe um, five to eight years ago, I was approached by, um, by some from the Grand Lodge who were somewhat familiar with mediation, but there wasn't any way in which it was being used. And so I worked with, the, with a few uh, other Masons to create what I think became a part of our um, California Masonic Code, maybe in an appendix or something, uh, for the, the process of mediation within the disciplinary uh, process overall. And uh, I, I don't know really what happened with that since then. I did speak with a, another Mason who's a, a lawyer and he's been um, participating in the disciplinary process, uh, who told me that uh, it's, it, it might be the trial master who conducts a mediation. Uh, there hasn't been an occasion where there has been such disharmony in my personal experience with, with uh, either this lodge or the lodge I was in before, before then, that uh, I was called upon to, uh, to use uh, mediation uh, as a dispute resolution process between brothers. But I can, I can say that, that one of the most important things about dispute resolution is understanding where the other person is coming from. Uh, and there, it's too often that people uh, don't communicate well with each other, things get misinterpreted. And, and it's really important to sit down sometimes with a third person, a neutral like me, uh, to uh, manage the conversation in order to get out what, what, what's going on, what the emotional content is that's driving the dispute. So um, I, I guess the, the bottom line is people need to talk to each other and, 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 and listen to each other. You know, um, being a participant in a conversation doesn't mean just waiting your turn to speak. It means being able to respond from here if necessary in order to clear the air and make sure things go better. Do you think that some, some examples, you know, within my Masonic career, for example, some happened before I, I came along, but I heard the stories. Some have happened during would be um, you know, for example, uh, somebody posts something on social media, not about Freemasonry, but their own opinions about something political or something religious or, or whatever it might be. And then there's a, 
another brother responds to that in a, a negative way and then the first and then even though that's happening outside of, of lodge that's not to say that there might not be hurt feelings when people come into lodge my philosophy was always uh, maybe i'm not the best at dispute resolution right my philosophy was was always um you know do you get along with everybody you may love everybody in your family, but that doesn't mean you get along with them, but you still, well, not this year, but you can still sit around at the dinner table with them, or you can still, you know, you can find a way to make it work in other facets of your life, a coworker you disagree with, a family member. But in Freemasonry, it seems that a lot of people take that admonition to mean if I have a disagreement with somebody, I can't be in lodge with them at all. Um, and I like what you're saying, which is, you know, try to think about where the other person is coming from, but do you think it's, it's, I guess, I don't know, in your experiences, or, or I guess my worry is people might go too quickly to the idea of, I'm not going to be in lodge with this brother who I disagree with politically or whatever it is, as opposed to, I'll try to listen and, and or at least just make things work as best I can. Or do you think there's room for you know, a third party, an objective third party to sit and mediate, like a worshipful master or, or somebody who's in that role. Sure. I think, I think that can be very useful to have a third party there. And, and uh, you know, I can tell you from experience that in our lodge, um, we come to it with uh, uh, very disparate um, political views. Uh, we don't talk about it in lodge, but outside of lodge, you know, we, we do have conversation that that might reflect one opinion and another uh, that, uh, that that don't correspond with each other and and uh, sometimes we have to acknowledge that uh, that uh, we disagree and we can agree to disagree and that's fine in our lodge um, which is a I wanted to talk about it a little bit its composition it's a small lodge we have, I think, maybe 45 members total in our lodge, and they come from uh, such a great diversity of places. We have some from Central America. We have some from the Philippines. We have some from the Middle East. We have some from here, there, and everywhere, and everybody brings um, a different skill set and a different cultural experience to the lodge, and so um, we have uh, people who might not otherwise ever speak to each other, uh, becoming brothers in our lodge and, and enjoying our fellowship. Uh, and and uh, we have to be conscious of the feelings of other people. We, you know, there, there's a, a funny phrase that I always liked about who can best work and best agree. Well, how can you best agree? You best agree by really trying to listen to one another uh, and to um, and to celebrate our our differences rather than uh, to shun them or or uh, um, accuse somebody of of uh, not being the same as oneself so that's what brother, what I say brother Casanova do you have any worship brother Casanova do you have any thoughts on um I just think I brought it up in some other podcasts. It just seems like I, I, I just view this as, as a potential 
a potential problem area, even if not yeah. now, future yeah. is the the extent to which people are sharing political views and and people are sharing views on social media that can uh, incite oh, or annoy another brother, and then somehow that gets folded into lodge and how to deal with that in a in a healthy way. Yes. Yes, as a past master and also as an inspector where I visit different lodges, the cultural differences causes individuals to misinterpret each other. And that's where the, you, you find a lot of the arguments. Uh, one might say something in a form in, that is okay in his culture, but it's entirely different in another culture. And a lot of times you find that that's where the disagreement or the contention starts. And you really got to sit these, other, these two individuals down and explain to them, what you just said just now does not sound right in this culture. And, and let me tell you how it sounds, you know, uh, because the, the other individual is so upset that he cannot even explain himself. So. I play the mediator part for, as David would do and go, look, guy, this is what you said. And in this culture, it doesn't go like that. It doesn't sound right. And, and, and calm down, calm down. This is not what he meant. This is what he meant. And once they, you can bring that cultural differences together, break the barrier uh, and, uh, and, and show each other that your communication skills needs to be be a little bit different when you're talking across culture, then you start getting that harmony that is needed in the lodge. But I find that very, very common. This is very common. And it doesn't even have to be political. It's just on a social level. On a social level, they have a couple of spirits and they start speaking freely and that freeness causes tension. So yes. And uh, how do you handle that? It's, it's a one-on-one -on -one basis. It's, it's an incident by incident. There is no universal answer to that. Uh, I wish there was, uh, but there's no universal answer. And as you go around from lodges to lodges, you, you hear that. Even in the same culture, take for instance, the Filipinos. Filipinos have some outrageous amount of different dialects and even among themselves, one may say something in one dialect that does not go right in the other dialect and causes, you know, disagreement. But yeah, this is, we're men. <laughs> we all have our pride, you know, and, uh, and we come into the lodge and unfortunately we do not drop that. We do not meet on the level like, like we should. And we bring it inside the lodge. We bring it inside our, our gathering. We bring it inside our committee rooms and, uh, and yes, that is, is very prevalent and, and I see it a lot. Uh, I, I do like one word that, that Brother Carp used. Uh, I want to kind of use that word in a, another context Masonically, but I think it's, it's valuable. He talked about the importance of listening, right? The word he used was, was listening to the other side. But I wonder, as a mediator, somebody who understands the importance of listening, how important do you think that that skill is when it comes to our ritual work and our degree work? I think 
one thing I try to emphasize with brethren when I'm doing mentoring uh, is, you know, a lot of them, when they're working on opening a lodge or closing a lodge, they're so focused on, you know, whatever it is that they have to say, they don't always listen to what everybody else is saying, the rest of the ritual. And then I find that sometimes they can lose rhythm or they talk too quickly or they jump ahead of somebody else. Um, just the ability to slow down and listen to what everybody's doing and take your time with it, I think is something that perhaps as a mediator or as somebody who understands the importance of listening, you might have some ideas on. Well, I, I do think that um, people uh, when, when in the lodge and have committed a portion of the, the work to memory, um, st sometimes struggle to get through it, sometimes rush through it. Uh, and, um, it, you know, it, it may become repetitious, both for the speaker and the listener. And so uh, occasionally, you know, I, I might look around a lodge room and see people who are not really just paying attention at all. Maybe they've got their cell phone out and they're looking at it in their hand instead, which I, 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 don't, I don't think is right and should never happen, but it does. Um, and I think because you know, we hear the same things over and over again, um, people don't stop and think about it. And, and um, sometimes when people are, are upset in a, uh, in, in a um, emotional dispute that I'm mediating, they're speaking very fast or they're, they're going to rush to respond. Um, and and it, it really takes some tact to, to be able to say, you know, take a deep breath, slow down and think about what's been said and what you want to say in response. And that applies even to, uh, even to our ritual work. Uh, people, people should should listen to it. When I when I write for the um, for the newsletter, I keep next to me on my desk um, both the cipher uh, and uh, the the my little. It's, I don't know if you can see it. It's it's a tiny little book. That, that I got when I was raised a Master Mason called the Monitor and Officer's Manual. It may be out of date, but I don't think so. And, and I often um, look at and refer to the charges of the three degrees because there's a lot of great material in there that if you can just take it apart and focus on one or two ideas, um, uh, you'll come out a, a better person, I think, as a result of it. And, and, um, and uh, so when a charge is delivered to a candidate, I'm sure that the candidate is listening with, with as much focus as he can. But I always try to encourage myself and others around me to listen carefully because those words are important. And I wonder, uh, how do I put it? Do we like, we hear the same, so the, the words are, are the same or they should be the same, theoretically, but I'm wondering if, if we were to pay attention, if, if we would really hear it the same way, because 
presumably the circumstances within our life will have changed each time we hear it. I mean, I, I liken it to, uh, I'm one of those people who can watch the same movie over and over and over again, because every time I watch it, I'm picking up on something different. In that case, it's because, you know, I'll be in a different place in my life. The first time I watched it to every time there's something new happening in my life. So I'll be able to connect to the, the movie in a different way. And I've always found if I take the time to listen to uh, whatever it is, an opening, a closing, a lecture, I'm usually able to find something unique that I didn't maybe pick up on before or hear something in a different way either because maybe it's a different speaker who's emphasizing a different portion of it or, or using a different emphasis with the words, or just I'm going through something in my life that makes me connect to the work in a different way. Um, but I think that's just a matter of being aware of where you are yourself in your Masonic journey and then listening carefully and picking things out. You know, there's a, there's a challenge sometimes when we talk about um, uh, cross-cultural participation in Freemasonry. Um, you know, each of us comes to to a lodge uh, uh, to to do the work or to listen to it, and and um, we might we not might might not have English as our as our first language, and so um, it becomes a challenge both for the speaker and the listener. If it's somebody who's struggling with a language, it's not his first language. And, and that's where we really, really have to focus on what's, what's being said and, and have some familiarity with the words already so that you can figure out what the person's talking about. Um, we, you know, uh, I've had that experience more often lately where, where we, have, we have speakers who who um, have strong accents because they came from another part of the world. And that's perfectly fine with me because um, we're all brothers. Um, but sometimes it's a struggle. I, I know that in California, we have a few lodges that have, do their work in other languages. Uh, yes. there's, there, there's one, um, uh, there's a French lodge. There's a, um, help me here, an Armenian lodge. Yes. Uh, uh, Spanish and a Spanish-speaking Spanish lodge, yes. And and so in those lodges, they solve the problem by speaking in their native language. Um, but sometimes it can be very difficult for um, for men to either um, memorize and and um, recall the words that are not their primary language, and it might be difficult for the listener as well. So it's great to it's great to have the little book. I mean, we don't, I don't take it into lodge, but I do look at it so that I know what the words are and can take them to heart. Uh, Brother Casanova, as a, a worshipful, as a Grand Lodge officer, uh, and just as a Mason, and with your experiences, you're, do you have any thoughts on, on you know, the importance of, of listening? Uh, we, like I said, just in my experience, candidates, anybody who's going through chairs, they, they tend to get so focused on what they have to say, they can sometimes forget to listen to what the people around them are saying. Well, as a, as a, as a past master, it's, <laughs> I think it's almost imperative that you listen first before you even start speaking. Uh, because we, 
if you're not careful, if you're not careful as a worshipful master, you tend to dictate uh, the work that needs to be done. And you, you can get lost in that chair very easily. And I found out that listening to the members of the lodge, what they want, listening to your officers, it's much more productive than you dictating what needs to be done. And besides that, you get a lot more accomplished because you are now doing the work that they desire, that they want to see done. And uh, your progression of, or your success at the end of the year, when you look back, you could accomplish a lot by just listening. It's, it's, it's a key. It's a key to sitting down there in, in, on the, in that oriental chair. So listen to what the officers and the lodge wants. And even if you have a dispute, which you will, you cannot do a year without having at least a couple of disputes that you have to sit in. Listen, listen, because uh, <laughs> we all have our ideas, we all have our wants, and we all believe that we're right in some form or of the other. And uh, unless you listen and hear both sides of the story, um, you won't be successful. I read once that uh, Frank Zappa said that the mind is like a parachute. It only, it only works if it's open. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. People, like have to, people have to have an open mind. Yes. And what would the, the open mind um, idea, I guess, where would you, how would you, you apply that kind of outside of, of masonry to people, you know, on the outside looking, looking in? It's very easy, depending on, you know, what you type into Google, for example, to get some very interesting ideas about the craft uh, from some disreputable sources, depending where you go. Um, I, you know, one of the, the hopes of this podcast uh, is obviously to connect with Masons who want to learn more about the craft, but also to connect with, with non-Masons. Um, not necessarily if anybody watches and decides they want to join, that's terrific, but uh, more just to connect and teach people more about Freemasonry and what Masons get from the craft so that they can have a, you know, a more accurate understanding of it. So I guess from that open mind perspective to anybody in California or anywhere interested in, in Freemasonry, either because they're interested in joining a fraternity or just because they're curious, um, what are some of the resources that you might recommend for perhaps somebody in California who wants to learn more about the craft? Well, that, you know, it, that's a hard question to answer because, uh, you know, we don't, we don't solicit members. We, uh, we, we don't go out and try to recruit. But on the other hand, we also don't want to have no new members join a lodge. Uh, and what we've been doing, well, at least before, before the pandemic, we would have an information night or an open house to which non-Masons would be invited. The material that uh, I sent you, Worshipful Cameron, was um, put together for an open house, for an information night. 
in order to um, educate someone with an open mind who wants to learn more about Freemasonry. And uh, we, we just have to do our best either by example, being in the community or, or through other means um, to be able to educate those who have an open mind. The ones who don't have an open mind, we're never gonna get them as, as members. They're never gonna be interested. Um, but but, but there, I mean, there is a benefit I have on my desk still a, uh, a draft of this month's uh, newsletter uh, because our uh, worshipful master decided that the theme this month would be giving back. And I had recalled some language from the open house on what the benefits of Freemasonry are. And I'm just going to flip quickly through the pages so I can find that. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, what it says. It's very brief. Um, so there, there were six that we highlighted at the open house and I'll highlight again about um, being a, a Mason. One is building deep and lasting friendships through the fraternity. The second is having a community of brothers who share your morals and values. Three, having the opportunity to build friendships with men of diverse backgrounds uh, and I have to say as a footnote that I have had a wonderful experience in our lodge uh, learning about um, uh, different um, cultural backgrounds and affinities of the, of the, of the members. The next is feeling, a feeling satisfaction from giving back within the fraternity without. The next one, finding a means for personal growth and for making a difference in the lives of others. And ultimately, Six, having a great time on a regular basis with a great group of guys. So, so that's, that's what we should be communicating um, to the extent that we can in the community and, and among ourselves uh, to reinforce uh, how it is that we can, um, we can improve ourselves and the community around us. You, um, you talked about disagreement, uh, we, we talked about disagreement earlier, so it's always fine to disagree a little bit. I do wonder um, about what you, at the start you mentioned, you know, we don't, we don't solicit. Um, but I've, I've always been wondering, so there's obviously, and they've talked about this in, in Essex district, you know, there's, there's improper solicitation, which is, you know, badgering or, or making some type of promise uh, for some type of, of special favor or special gain if you join <laughs> if you join Freemasonry. Um, but I don't really know the, the, the no solicitation rule. I'm not really sure how much that's ever been truly practiced in the sense that I, I remember, I don't know what it's like in California, but I did some research here and in the 50s, when Masonry was just exploding, and the 1920s, when Freemasonry was exploding in the province, you know, you regularly had the newspapers, for example, the Windsor Star, publishing the names of the elected officers in the lodge each That's year. That's interesting. And, uh, you know, it'd be like, congratulations, worshipful brother so-and-so. And I remember hearing stories about, for example, um, in the county, there was a... Um, What's it called? There was a, a installation scheduled. 
this was in the early 70s and there was a snowstorm so they had to cancel it so they were able to call the radio station and the radio station played any masons going to so and so it has been canceled right there was it's they didn't have to quote unquote solicit in the sense of you should join you should you know telling people to join but the the just the critical mass the number of masons meant that it was well known in political circles it was well known in business circles people were joining because everybody knew a mason somewhere it was in the newspaper regularly uh, people you know in new york somebody made millions on a masonic magazine because there were so many masons that people were advertising in it just to reach that so it seems like the whole I don't really understand the, the no solicitation rule per se. I understand not wanting to be aggressive about it or, you know, that type of thing. But to say that we never solicited, I mean, if, you're, if your worshipful master is being congratulated in the newspaper every year, that seems like a type of solicitation. I don't know. It's just, I've always wondered how that rule came about. It seems to me something that's never actually been really practiced, uh, you know. It's always just been observed in the breach or something like that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Where's with the Casanova? If in your experience you, you've seen. It's a, uh, well, what you just said is, 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 is a perfect example. And I, yes, I don't know how well we practice the non-solicitation rule. Um, I, I really don't have an answer for that. I really don't have an answer. What I have to say though, we all joined missionary because we had someone that we looked up to who had special character and uh, we admired their character and we got to learn later on that they were Mason. And if, if their character reflected what masonry was all about, then we wanted to be a part of that. At least that's directly reflection of how I became a Mason. And uh, and if that's solicitation indirectly, then it's it's it should be practiced more. Yeah, I guess that's my my question is is how would you, I guess, what where would you you how would you define you know improper solicitation versus um, you know proper solicitation? Because I would certainly. You know, I, I would have no no concerns with, for example, brethren wearing a ring or having an open house or, you know, it does, it seems like more and more there's there's openness to that. But, you know, it's it certainly, I mean, for example, my grandfather, both my grandparents were Masons, my grandfathers on both my mom and my dad's side. And my dad, he described Masonry in the 1950s. He described, uh, he said his dad was very quiet about it. He never talked about it. He had his, you know, famous black bag by the door and he'd pick it up and he'd leave and he'd come back, but it, it wasn't, he didn't talk about it, but he said he didn't have to because everybody just knew, Yeah. you know, it was so common and the lodge was so well attended that people just knew what was happening. It, you didn't need to, to speak about it. I feel like because at least in Ontario, because the numbers have been dropping um, for so many decades, you know, maybe we have to kind of be more willing to speak about it and talk about it because it's not like the fifties when I'll just, you know, in, in America, based on my research, one out of every 11 adult men were Masons at its height. 
So you didn't need to think about solicitation, quote unquote, or talking about it. It was pretty, everybody knew. I don't yeah. know if you have it there. Yeah. Well, that was a different world. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's very different now. I think, I think all the Grand Lodges are struggling with membership. Uh, you know, I've, the, the non-solicitation rule reminds me of the bumper sticker that I see from time to time, which has the square and compasses on it. And it says, to be one, ask one. Um, and uh, so when we did the open house, the, what we decided deliberately not to do was we didn't want to include an application form in the handouts so because they had to ask for it. And we stressed that. Uh, but I, I think in in uh, our you know current society, people have so many distractions, so many more distractions. There's yeah. There, Talking there, about distractions, I have yeah. a meeting uh, that I'm running late for. So I will right. at seven o'clock. Right, we, and we, we should wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, I have, you know, loved this this time speaking with uh, with both of you. Um, I love the chance to meet new brethren. I think the one thing this, you know, the silver lining and ever, all the craziness right now is getting to connect virtually with brethren I would not have otherwise. Um, yeah. yeah. So it is really, really appreciated. I don't know, brother, uh, if you guys have anything else you'd like to, to say. I'm very much looking forward to attending Brother Carp's uh, ceremony. Please do. I'm looking I think you enjoy it. I'll be, I'll be there with my uh, suit and tie. I can't promise pants. Right? <laughs> <laughs>